I'm delighted to introduce my guest today, Tony McWilliam. He is founder of one of the world's leading snow sports brands, Faction Skis. Uh, hi, Tony. How are you? I'm well, Ian. How are you? I was, I was just, we were just kind of talking about the fact that we hadn't actually seen each other in around about 20 years when yeah, you guys ran, well, when you ran Natives up in, was it Putney? Richmond. Yeah, it was in Putney. And, you know, we, we haven't spoken for a long time. And you're right. I seem to recall that you designed the first ever Natives.co.uk uh, brochure for us. I did. I did. And I, I was thinking about it when you, when you contacted me because I feel like those, the kind of the early 2000s was just such a, a fantastic time for British skiing, let alone everything else. Um, and I, being Australian originally, I'd just come over to Europe. Uh, I'd just come to London. I'd done a season in Des Alpes and one in Les Arcs and then uh, come to, came to London, uh, met you through Steph, who was working for you. Um, and it just seemed like everything was going on in London. The, the dry slope scene, um, the you know Warren and all his courses, um, the just everything seemed to kind of focus around natives at that time because you guys were like the centre of. Well, I mean that's that's very <laughs> kind of you to say so. I mean it was a very dynamic and a very exciting time just then. And in fact, I interviewed um, Pat Sharples a little while ago, mm. and we were talking about. You know, that really exciting time when um, British free skiing or uh, uh, free riding was, you know, really starting to develop. And you mentioned, yeah. uh, you know, Warren as well. And, yeah, you know, it was just such an exciting time. And it's interesting to see how it's uh, how it's developed. And really, faction skis kind of rolled with that, I'd say, to well, a certain degree. Yeah, a lot of it came out of it because I had so many friends in the English snow sports team, snow sports scene. And one of them in particular, a guy called Phil Martin, who is English, but now living in the States, uh, in Tahoe, I think. He was the first person when I, I, I found this little factory in just south of Evian who wanted to make skis. And my background was in product design. I've got a product design degree before I moved into graphics. Um, and I contacted Phil and Phil went, oh, this is really cool. I'll email all my friends. And literally within a couple of weeks i had 50 people go yeah i'll have a pair of those and it was all through phil martin that um, is so interesting because as i'm sure you know phil and i used to work together and people yeah. used to regularly assume that we were brothers because we both we both <laughs> oh, yeah. had the same surname martin and we were working uh for natives together but mm. i didn't realize i knew he had verbier connections but i didn't realize he was quite like that so what year was it that you actually started faction itself so we'd been, I'd been living out in Les Arcs, you know, the Republic of Valandry, as, uh, as they like to call it out there, which was, which was lovely, such a cool little resort. And I think that was kind of 2000, 2001, 2002. I was meeting a lot of guys like Jim Adlington, Gordy Hughes, um, photographers like Mike Truelove, um, Ross Woodall, all those guys. Uh, even Americans like Matt Reardon, who seemed to be in the Ellis Brigham catalogue for like five years straight, or Snow and Rock, I don't know, can't remember. Um, but so 2003 was when I first kind of put it all together and the name kind of came to me and the ski line kind of came to me. And it, it was a, I'd already been painting people's skis and snowboards for a couple of years, um, just for the fun of it. And then this kind of opportunity there's something just clicked in my head and I went, well, why don't I make skis? There were no fat skis at the time. The fattest ski was like Solomon Super Mountain, which was about 80 mil wide. Um, and the Solomon 1080 had just come out. The Rosie Power Air had just come out. 
guys like Evan Raps were coming over to the the ski show in London. Board was it called Bordex? Yeah, there was a Bordex thing down in Battersea. They Battersea, used to uh, yeah, have yeah. an event there. Yeah, that was awesome, and you'd get a lot of the freestyle skiers coming out and doing the doing Bordex, the snowboard shoot, which was really great. Just seeing this kind of the the disciplines kind of cross over and everyone just being excited about going out of the mountains and doing things different. It's interesting you mentioned Jim Adlington because I also interviewed him for the podcast yeah, not very long ago. Yeah. And we were talking about, you know, the skis as they uh, as they came through. And, you know, things were changing, as you say. And there weren't many wide skis at the time. But so you you had the I mean, the name for a start is brilliant. Sometimes these things come to you. People oh, often you. ask me how I came up with uh, natives. And I don't yeah. know, these things sometimes come to you. And the faction really worked well. Very cool sounding apart from anything else. But it wouldn't have gone anywhere if you hadn't been able to make them. So how... How do you actually, you know, you think, right, okay, you telling me you were painting people's skis, you know, doing bespoke skis or boards, et cetera, and design is your background. You had some great ideas, but how do you actually go about making a bunch of skis? Well, the first ones were not quite right. Let's put it that way. Um, But what I was lucky to have a few guys that I met that kind of mentored what I was doing. Um, Peter Bauer, who runs Amplid. I met him really early on and he was a product designer and a product manager for Burton for many years. And he just kind of opened up everything and talked to him about the process. We went and visited a few factories together and actually used a factory that he ran for a year or two. Um, And he kind of just took me through all that process. And we spent a lot of time talking about side cuts and flexors and shape and things like that. Where was the, the factory that he introduced you to where you first got them made? So we st- the, the first year was in a little place south of Evian, which is the same factory that started movement skis. And right. then that first year was kind of a bit of a learning experience. And then I met Pete after that, and we moved to a factory in Austria, which I cannot actually remember the name anymore because it was so long ago. No we problem. Did, uh, we, did, uh, we did kind of two years there, and then we attended ISPO for the first time. And literally, Pete dropped off the back, dropped off the skis at our ISPO booth for the first year, and it was the first year at ISPO. We're really excited, and he went, "Oh, by the way, the factory can't make the skis anymore because <laughs> we were too small." Um, so that kind of created this process of just a search for for factories that could help us out. And skis aren't the most complicated products in the world, but to get them in low volumes um and low warranty rates i.e to create a product which is just a, a low volume but consistently well is difficult yeah so, i'm sure i'm sure it is because the cost must be so much higher if you're doing low yeah. runs relatively yeah and we had no idea so the first couple of years we were paying twice as much as what we should have been paying but we had no idea what we were doing and literally, literally was learning as i went you know and i was lucky that my product design background meant that I could understand a lot of the processes I could go through. I mean, I designed everything from the shapes, the flexes, uh, the core profiles and the graphics. Uh, you know, I, I kind of did everything. And that's just when you start a business, that's kind of that what is, you have to do. Yeah, right? that is pretty amazing, though. And you're saying there weren't so many kind of wide skis at the time. In your first ranges, what were they coming in at then? We were Our first range was, uh, what was it? It was 80 and then 120. 110 and at the time we were like oh my god 110 mil waist 
shit, that's just no one's <laughs> going to be able to ski on it. Um, and, yeah, I know. And now you're like, yeah, 100 minutes, that's every day. Um, and but at the time, it was nuts. And then kind of a few years later, I tried a pair of K2, I think it was the Hellbent, which was pretty much the first kind of reverse camber fat ski. So over 110, that was about 120. And it was the first time I tried anything with Rocker on it. And suddenly we're like, oh, my God, this makes so much sense. Um, and I'd skied with Shane McConkie, for example, a few years before, because I used to do the IFSA free ski comps, which is where I met Phil Martin as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so it was a really small, this is before the World Tour, before all that stuff. And it was just a really small group of people who used to travel around and sleep on friends' floors and do these comps everywhere. Um, so I met a lot of guys through that as well. And seeing a lot of things that were happening, um, and Shane was obviously playing around with shapes, and he was going pretty far towards reverse camber, reverse side cut, etc. But my my focus had always been on build, trying to build a ski that you know, if you're a seasonier, you could you could afford. But it was the one ski that you could just do everything on all the time. It was the one ski you needed. You know, it was it was. It was back when we were all sleeping on people's floors and kind of living yeah. mountain to mountain. You know? <clears throat> so are we talking about what people might describe now as an all-mountain ski, that type of... Yeah, yeah. now it would be an all-mountain ski. Yeah. Back then it was, you know, a fat ski. The early Seth Pistol days. Um, what else was around about that time? Yeah, 110, 120. And then when I, when I kind of started playing with reverse camber and rocker, that was when everything really started to make sense because I was pretty much the only brand really that liked stiff skis yeah i liked i had a lot of friends early on um were I'd, I'd done a season in canada early on in my life so i i had a lot of friends in north america as well and canadians just love sit stiff straight skis so a lot of the skis i bought out early on were stiff and straight and when you've got reverse camber for example reverse camber is basically the shape a soft ski deforms to so it will float so if you press a ski with reverse camber, you don't actually need it to flex any further. You know, the only reason you want it to flex any further is to make it a little bit forgiving so it's not kicking you out of the back and seat it, all the time. it's kind of a, a perhaps harder for a listener now to kind of visualize, you know, what you're talking mm. about in that faction were kind of in the lead of innovation through all of that time with the different elements you're bringing in, whether it's the, the width of the ski or the rockers or reverse camber, yeah. et cetera. I mean, you mentioned the Seth Seth pistol there. What I seem to remember about those skis where they had great graphics. And that yeah. was a key part of all of your ranges. Now, you know, you mm. are a designer. How did you go about actually deciding which which graphics to put on the skis? Because that must have been a massive was, decision. It was, I, it was quite easy, actually, because it was my decision. I was like, I want to do this. I'm doing this. I didn't have, you know, a massive sales team to report to. I didn't have a, a marketing team who ever wanted to kind of give feedback on and everything. And um, by the time it happened, or by the kind of 2007, 2008, we started getting sales guys on board um, and it started growing organically. Um, and at that point, everyone kind of has input. And at that point, you kind of, you have to fight for the designs you do and where they came from. But early on, early on, I mean, I was, I'd grown up in Melbourne, so there's a lot of street art. Um, London at the time, there was a lot of street art as well. And I, I used to just kind of go off on travels and, and go on trips and just get inspired by what was happening around me. And at the time too, like the, the early 2000s, there wasn't any skis with interesting graphics on, apart from Jamie Strachan doing stuff for vocal. 
So uh, the early explosives uh, with the wizards on, um, all that stuff. He did some amazing art. And again, he was part of that UK scene at the time of people who seemed to be pushing the industry. Yeah, I mean, Jamie Strachan, you mentioned him. In, in, downstairs, in our downstairs loo here, I've got a couple of posters from the... Um, the sham jam from back in the oh, day yeah. and that was his stuff i think yeah. as well wasn't it and it really stands out brilliant stuff yeah yeah he did amazing work and there was a few other brands kind of got on it as well rosy had a whole series of art skis which were fantastic and i think you know when you're when you're starting a business it's easy to see everyone out there as competitors because you're really fighting for like i need every sale God, I need to build this business kind of thing. But my viewpoint was very different. Like Pete, who was starting Amplet, I mean, we did a whole heap of stuff together and he had his own vision and where he wanted to go. Um, uh, you know, I met a lot of the guys. So Jason Leventhal, um, Matt Sturban's over at Forefront, the guys who started Amada. Like we were a really small group of people and all we were trying to do was take market share from Atomic and Rosignol and Solomon, <laughs> you know? like So we, we'd go out to these things like, You'd go out to the States and you'd do the free skier magazine tests or the uh, you know, Ellis Brigham or the Fall Line magazine tests. And it's the same group of people. We're all traveling together. We're all moving together. And we're all just inspired by what everyone's doing, um, which I think is quite unique. Like, I don't think in many industries you get a lot of people working who would naturally be seen as competitive actually working together. I mean, Jim and I, for example, I mean, Jim and I worked across next to each other on trade halls for 10 years, both at ISPO and in North America at trade shows over there. So I spoke to Jim a couple of weeks ago and we've always stayed in touch because what he's doing with planks is really cool and really complementary to what we're doing, for example. Yeah, I mean, so it's sometimes it's easy to kind of think that um, any industry is really small, but there is a certain feel, I yeah. think, within the snow sports industry that makes it makes it work in a different way when you first did your first range how many how many pairs of skis did you do in the first year how many pairs of skis did you make 44 pairs of skis because i picked them up in i knew nothing i just moved to verbier i rented a car i drove over to the factory which is just across the border in Evia, so south of lake geneva and i picked up the skis and they were like right it's christmas eve uh you do know that the customs you know the border shuts uh, like half an hour ago how are you what are you going to do are you going to declare them you have to pay tax on them and everything i'm like what are you talking about <laughs> tax yeah. import fees declarations <laughs> what and so i literally put them in the back of the car put a blanket over them and drove across the border just crossing my fingers the whole way hoping i would not be stopped and it was christmas eve it was packed like there were so many cars they weren't stopping anybody so they just let us go through and i'm like well <laughs> thank god for that uh, that, that, yeah. that's very cool I, I like that but 44 pairs I mean were they all pre-ordered because um, yeah. you mentioned uh, right okay so they're all uh, they all had uh, someone's name attached to them straight away yeah they all yeah. had someone's name attached to them so I, I shipped I, I drove them over to Verbier and then started packing them up and I, I quite a few people were in Verbier or visiting Verbier so uh, I managed to kind of deliver them to them there as well um, and then you know the first few years were just Verbier was an amazing place in the, in kind of, I, I moved there in 2003, that same year I started Faction. And I knew a couple of people there who I'd met earlier on um, in doing seasons in Leaders Alp and one or two people from Australia as well. But it's the first resort I'd gone to, which just had a massive group of seasonaires and people who lived there from all different communities and cultures and nationalities 
who were all just out to go skiing and have fun and work hard and were, were doing a lot of things together. There was a massive group of uh, all the Kiwi guys, so um, Sam Smoothie, Tom Dunbar, all those guys came over, Hamish, uh, who went on to start Mons Royale. All these guys were friends of ours through uh, Camilla Stoddart, for example, who's a Scottish photographer, and Beanie Milne-Hume, um, who we worked together. She did marketing for Faction for many years, but I met her out there as well. Um, and she's a close friend, now married to Xavier Delarue, and just had, a, had their second daughter, actually, a couple of days ago, which is fantastic. But it really was this little community of people who came from all over the world, and Verbia was big enough to kind of support it. It was only really Verbia or Chamonix that were big enough resorts to be able to support that kind of community. And it was just great. It was just great. And that's very, you know, exciting. Obviously, it developed from, like, 44 pairs in the first year. You know, interest is great. Yeah. You sold all of those. It's a great way to seed the market. A bit like when I talked to Jim Adlington mm -hmm. about how when he was starting planks, you know, they didn't go full on to start off with. They just seeded the market, you know, giving product to or letting people get product, uh, you know, in the right hands to start off with. But there must have been a point where the volume, you know, increased, you know, you could therefore bring your costs down and then you, ne you needed to start marketing the skis a little bit more. And, you know, how did, how yeah. did that go about? How did you market them? Did you get any sponsored skiers on board? How did that happen to it was start It very organic. I mean, when we started, I was living hand to mouth, you know, I'm, I was a graphic designer. I was doing, you know, I was doing brochures for you. Uh, I had a friend of mine who started a magazine, myself and a lady called Kirsty Swinnerton started Verbia Life in Verbia, which is still running to this day, 14 years later. Um, we were just doing anything we could to kind of make money and survive. I mean, we were ski bums, same as Jim. Um, excuse me. And so we were kind of selling product. I, I had a website up. I got interest early on. And this is the days when new schoolers had started as well. So actually it was the first kind of shift towards some form of social media and some form of being able to grow a business online rather than through retailers. Um, ski service in Verbia were the first store to stock us uh, and still stock faction to this day. And they were really supportive. And so that became kind of a hub. Um, and I was lucky enough that one of the one of the athletes who worked for me, be, uh, rode for me early on, Ben Hawker, um, a guy called Bungle, who yeah. was introduced to me through Warren, he used to come out, crash on our floor, uh, and then the second year he came out and crashed on our floor, like one person moved out of one bedroom and left a job as a, a ski man <laughs> in ski service. And so Bungle kind of took one person's bed and took the other person's job, and now he's running ski service. Uh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's really cool. So we had a small group of, I call them athletes early on, but I mean, we didn't have any money. We couldn't afford to pay athletes or anything. So it wasn't until 2006 when I met my business partner who was out in Verbier and he kind of put a little bit of cash in, became a kind of a silent partner. And that's when we started having to go through that process that every business goes through about working out, well, how do you actually run a business and, and, bring cash in and grow it. Um, and most of the marketing was through contacts of people like Phil, guys who went on to write for magazines, whether that was in the US or, or Europe. Um, and I was pretty lucky also through doing IFSA comps in Europe that I'd met a lot of the guys in the French ski industry. So uh, the guys who run like that down in, um, who do the event in Annecy every year, 
some of the event guys there. And so it's just, it's just uh, kind of contacts and not really knowing what to do when you start a business and how to market <laughs> it. So, I mean, that's why it took 10 years to kind of get anywhere. <laughs> but from that point on, I mean, in the, in the late 2000s, you know, by now we're seeing a proper freestyle, free ride uh, environment, all those yeah. other brands you mentioned. I mean, the show notes for this episode are going to be a nightmare because you just mentioned so many names. I'm going to try and yeah. <laughs> put, put links into all of them. But it's so interesting how the connections, uh, you know, work out. And I think possibly I might be right in saying, or but you can you can tell me that the big um, jump from being, let's say, you know, a, a niche uh, kind of brand to being one of the not a major player like your Rosinols and Salomons that you mentioned just there, but being one of the key medium-sized brands was bringing someone like Condi Tovex on on board. Yeah, how did definitely. how did that come about? We. That was, uh, again, fortuitous. And I, I like to think that I'm an intelligent person and I've planned all these things, but really, it's not. It's, it's <laughs> A lot of these events are just fortuitous. Um, so that was about 2011 and Candide. I first met Candide in Les Arc when the Quicksilver Invitational was in Les Arc and he was only like 16. Um, but he was phenomenal even then. And when we'd started growing Faction, we talked to our sales guys, we talked to our marketing guys, you know, we talked to our athletes and we were like, look, who do we think, you know, will have an impact and who do we think would be someone we'd like to work with? And Candide had already had a couple of pro models at that point. Um, and I'd love the graphics that he'd done on he had the Dynastar pro model, which had a little painting uh, of a couple of guys around a campfire, which I thought was really cool. Um, and his agent at the time uh, was a guy called Greg, who was living in London and had just started working for Wasserman, one of the big agencies. Uh, yeah. And Greg was in charge of uh, basically snow, snow sports and action sports. So he signed Woodsy, signed um, Candide. And Greg used to work in a ski store in Bourbier. So we had uh -huh. mutual friends. And he called me up and he, and he said, oh, look, I happen to be just working with Candide now. I was like, what? <laughs> um, and so it was... Uh, it was kind of just a nice, it just kind of everything kind of happened at the right time. Like I called Candide up and we talked, he came around for dinner. Um, and, you know, it's just, Candide's not the person that you kind of feel he is just by looking at the, the social media that he puts out there and everything. He's actually an incredibly warm, nice um, guy who just, I mean, I mean, you walk down the street in a ski resort in France with him. I walked down the street in Cham with him once and literally every five meters, someone's coming, coming up to him and it's his old friend or his cousin or someone who owns a store that, that he's worked with or something like that. And he has time for everyone and he talks to everyone and it's, it's phenomenal. It is phenomenal. And so we started working together and we started looking at the products that we make and he had a set of criteria that he wanted to achieve through the products um, and at the time we actually started looking back at a ski we made made called the Royale which is the first ski that was 122 underfoot and he loved the shape um, but we wanted to find ways to make it lighter so we started looking into alternatives for cores and we used a recycled PET core for a while which unfortunately didn't wasn't great warranty wise um, and then we swapped over to this mix of bamboo and flax. Uh, I won't get technical. 
but bamboo, <laughs> bamboo. No, sorry, not bamboo, balsa. But actually, balsa is technically a hardwood, so it's very strong but very light. Um, and we we kind of worked on this together, and and Candy gets really heavily involved in every single aspect of the products that he works on. You know, it wasn't just oh, here's the pro here's your pro model for this year. Just sign your name across the bottom, and here we go. It was like. Well, this is the third round of revisions we'll do on this product, and I don't like that little red line there. We need to change that and everything. He's, Some yeah. respects, you know, I can see how that could be challenging. But on the other hand, you want someone who really cares about what you're creating and what you're doing there, don't you? Yeah, yeah. And and each athlete that we've worked with, I mean, work with guys like Sam Attenton and Alex Hall. Um, all these guys have different requirements of what they like. Some are really good at putting that into words and working with someone like an engineer. Others are like. It just feels wrong, and I have no idea why. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, that's more frustrating like that. <laughs> yeah, but it's fine. It's just people, and I've always liked people. And just a listener, if, you, if you're not too sure who Condi Dovex is, just Google uh, one of those days on YouTube, and uh, you will see some just incredible footage uh, on there. And I wonder when you look at that and you see – you see um, him skiing down slopes that are grass or rocks or brick or whatever. You think, oh, my God, what's he doing to my skis? It's <laughs> a funny story about that. He, so he was doing one of those days and he was traveling uh, around. No, sorry, not one of those days. The next one, the Ski the World, yeah. um, <clears throat> where he went to China and Mongolia and all these fantastic places. And he was calling us up every couple of weeks going, I need more skis. I need more skis. So they're like rushing, going, how are we going to make like another five pairs of skis, ship him out another five pairs of skis? We sent, we sent him 27 skis for that, 27 pairs of skis for that ski shoot. And in the end, he only used one pair the whole time for that whole entire. Wow. That's amazing. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he came back and was like, well, like, did you use all those? He's like, no. I'm like, oh, bloody hell. Oh, I mean, the, the, the yeah. um, sequence when he skis down the Great Wall of China, is amazing and there's a really good uh, i found i was looking at a video when i was doing a bit of research a kind of you know behind the scenes how they filmed it type of thing yeah and that sort of stuff is amazing yeah. so having condi condi on board and and the other um athletes as well you know there was a huge growth uh with with faction and you know it's a multi-million dollar business uh, now one of the leading mid-size ski brands uh, yeah. in the world yeah. i think it was about 2017 or so you moved on um, for the business, gone through, uh, you know, some rounds of funding until then. And he yeah. wanted to kind of focus on uh, other things. Um, I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about that. In my notes here, it says you launched a, uh, or helped to launch a, an eco-friendly outerwear brand, Ghosts. Yeah, yeah. So 2017, I we just had our second daughter um, and I hadn't seen much of the first one, to be honest. That's the, kind of the nature of running your own business. And it, it kind of got to that point where it was like, right, I need to step back a bit. And everything with Faction was kind of heading in the right direction. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd signed something like 150 different pairs of skis. Uh, I mean, we sales were up at, you know, we we're on like 30, 35,000 pairs of skis a year. And everything was kind of going in the right direction. And I kind of thought that if there was any time that I could actually make a change in my life, this was the kind of time to do it. And We'd started working with outerwear. We'd, we'd had our own brand of outerwear for a couple of years. Uh, and then we decided to rebrand it as a separate brand. And then that became what's now known as Forward. So that's another, as a small a power brand called Forward. And I'd left at the kind of 2017, 2018. And I'd started working with these guys who make 
fabrics which are sorry this is slightly technical so when you make fabrics you weave a fabric and then you dye it and the dyeing process is really water intense and there's a process whereby you you can embed the color in the yarn itself before you weave it so you don't have to dye it after you weave and it's not a very common process it's called solution dyeing and i found this factory that made solution dyed fabrics and i personally had kind of wanted to design outerwear that kind of suited myself rather than the commercial restraints that were happening at uh, in terms of faction just because of the size that it got to uh, and so i started this kind of company called ghost and i didn't know what to do and how to get it out there and a friend of mine said why don't you do kickstarter and i'm like oh that looks scary um, <laughs> but i did it anyway and and it was successful we, we got to about sixty thousand in funding which was fantastic um we used this fabric which we launched uh, which one or two brands are starting to use, but is still kind of a slow uptake. Um, and then, yeah, got a, a, an innovation award for uh, outdoor retailer, so SIA in the States. And at the same time as that, I'd kind of been headhunted by Nidecker to help them launch uh, what became Eric Pollard's season. So Eric was another phenomenal this is, this is um season equipment is season equipment brand, which is right skis yeah. and snowboards so eric pollard <clears throat> and austin b smith um there are two austin smiths uh and that was a that was a great process because it was, it was the first time i'd kind of taken all the things i'd learned from faction and had someone else's vision and gone okay well how do we build a structure around around this you know what relationships do you need you know, how does Eric take all his ideas? And he literally has a garage, which is just full of paintings and drawings and sketches and photos and ideas of things like names or words that resonate with him or uh, colors that he likes. And it was taking that and trying to work out, okay, how do we actually build a product around this and a brand around it? And then what factory do we need? Where are we gonna sell it? How are we gonna grow it? Like, what should the focus be? What are the important elements that he wanted to get across? And so. It was me, a guy called Andy, who was a product manager for Amada for many years. And we kind of put those the factory structures in place, got that all kind of running and off the ground. And then um, and then that was middle of last year. And that unfortunately kind of put ghosts on the back burner yep. and then COVID hit <clears throat> and literally everything just stopped. Um, investors who were looking to kind of get involved just kind of went, we're just going to take a year off. Uh, and, you know, ski resorts going to shut down. And the, indus the industry as a whole is really, you know, some people have managed to do well. Some people have shifted their focus and, you know, outdoor products, split boards, touring equipment are doing fantastically well. But traditional brands or brands that haven't been able to pivot and adjust to that, uh, you know, in, in a... a not a questionable time, but times when they would have normally had 10 to 20% growth and now seeing kind of 30% cutbacks. Yeah. I mean, think, so, you know, clearly, clearly, um, you know, COVID is, has uh, had a massive impact on lots of the, uh, the snow sports industry, whether it's yeah. operational yeah. or destinations or equipment, et cetera. But uh, yeah. I think you're right in saying that the, the touring side of things and yeah, outerwear uh, is a, uh, has survived much better. Uh, am I right in saying that you're working with Condide again on, on his, outerwear brand yes yeah, so so we we started working on that i started working on that with candida about 20 early 2017 i actually ended up 
he'd left, just decided to leave Quicksilver and go in his own way. And he needed outfits for Ski the World. So I designed the product that he was wearing in Ski the World. And then I went, went my own way. And then kind of middle of last year, I guess, uh, we just started to happen to talk again. And he started talking about the project that he'd continued on with the outerwear and was just about getting ready to launch. And so I, uh, I went around there to uh, Annecy and Lecluser and looked through all the product again. And the product was basically the product that I'd kind of designed in my spare time. And he kind of just enhanced it and spent two years really just refining it and going through every detail and every element there and making it fit him and his vision of what he feels is the type of equipment that he wants to basically empower other skiers to be as creative as he is. That's the kind of the whole, the whole idea around the brand. And so we started working in properly earlier this year. And so coming on board to kind of oversee the product development and oversee the team that's currently working on it or work with the team there, I should probably say, um, and help refine that product. So the product launched last year. Obviously, that was a difficult time to launch a product. So uh, this will be a really big year for the brand. And then we're just finalizing 22-23 product. I love those timelines. It's so far ahead. I mean, I know at one point, you know, in the ski industry, you're obviously doing contracting a lot of the time for tour operators a long way ahead, but that's a long way ahead to be thinking. And, you know, it's fascinating when you talk about working with uh, Kondi there about the uh, the creativity side of things. And, you know, you're always busy, whatever it is that you're doing, it's pretty clear and you're always being Mm. uh, creative. You got all these different projects uh, kind of going on. And, uh, you know, I'm sure they'll continue to be very successful because one thing that has always been very clear is that you're very passionate about your work and you have a very clear idea of what you want to do. And I think those sort of things, that's what you need. You need to have that clarity <laughs> and belief belief in yourself. And if you have those things, I suspect that that's why, you know, you've been uh, very successful with faction and everything else. Oh, thanks very much, Ian. I, I think it's a combination of vision and stubbornness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's that's... to do things when people that's say... That's useful hey, as well. That's useful <laughs> as well. Well, you know, I wish you... Thanks very much for your time today, Tony. I really appreciate oh, it. And I wish you all the best for this winter, whichever direction it takes us. And hopefully we'll all find ourselves uh, on the slopes of the lift turning uh, yeah, this winter I, as well. I really hope so. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, what I've tried to do with my career is is make products which hopefully inspire people to go out so outdoors and, and get outside. I mean, it is, you know, I, I've been in ski resorts since I was 20, um, both in Australia, in Canada, in France, in Switzerland. And, you know, it's become a kind of a center point of my life is this ability to just go outside and, and how good you feel skiing. And, um, you know, if other people can do that as well, then I, I think I've achieved something. So great. Thank and, you, you know, as we go time. into this winter, uh, you know, as well, there'll be a winter Olympics where um, yes. I imagine there'll be a whole number of skiers who are on the uh, faction skis at the time competing in those different events. Yeah, I think so. Cool. <laughs> Brilliant to talk to you, Tony. Thanks very much. Cheers, mate.